My wife, Nancy, and I recently purchased our very first home. And one of the joys of being a homeowner is you get to decorate the house how you want it to look. My job was to hang the pictures on the wall and to assemble any new furniture that we might have purchased. Nowadays, if you buy a desk or even a chair, it often comes in a box and you have to put it together. Now, if I was to determine what room in the house was my wife's favorite based on how much new decor or how much new furniture she purchased for that room, hands down, it would be our little girl's room. (laughs) The walls are covered in rainbows and unicorns and princesses. And I spent many an hour assembling new furniture. So there I was on the floor, furniture pieces spread out, screws over there, legs to a bedside table over here, and and my two little girls watching me being daddy's helpers. And I had a choice to make, the same choice that all of us have to make when we begin a project, and that's do we follow the little picture instruction book that comes in that box? Or do we figure it out for ourselves? (laughs) Figure it out. I can't remember if I was assembling a bedside table or a bookshelf, but I made the decision to figure it out. Who needs instructions for something as simple as children's furniture from Target? Well, apparently I do. It was right about the time I had realized that I had put some part on upside down where my bright-eyed five-year-old walked in, looked at my puzzled face and said, Daddy, you have no idea what you're doing, do you? (laughs) Little stinker. (laughs) She was right. My pride had gotten the best of me. And my daughter called me out. You know, we naturally want to do things on our own. And and sometimes that's a good thing. Lord willing, we want to raise our daughters to be independent of mom and dad and dependent on God. Other times, however, this attitude is, is unhealthy and unhelpful. In this case, to deny the instruction book to assemble furniture was a simple fix. Just turn that little part over and start over again. But what if the instructions are to something much weightier? say, the label on a pill bottle for medicine, you would read that label in order to understand the dosage and the amount. No one in the right mind would simply open that pill bottle and start taking down the pills. That would be, that would be dangerous. Or let's say, hypothetically speaking, you got a speeding ticket, because I know no one in here has ever gotten a speeding ticket. You wouldn't randomly write a check out to anyone and send it to a random address for a random amount. No, you would, you'd read the fine print on that little ticket to find out exactly where to send the money and who to send it to. How often do we attempt to navigate life just like I treated that Target brand furniture? I'll figure it out. I've got this. Well, maybe you do at least for now, but until 
that life-altering trial hits. Perhaps you're at a difficult point in your marriage or in some other vital relationship. Maybe you're in a very hard season at work or you're struggling to raise your children or your teenagers. Maybe it's a major health issue and the problem just won't go away. We will all face life-altering trials. The question then becomes, how do we endure? This morning, as we finish our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we will look at Jesus' warning regarding trials, even judgment, as it relates to following his authoritative teaching. We will address this question. How do we follow Jesus' authoritative teaching in order to endure life's trials and escape the final judgment? In answering this question, we will look at the content of Jesus' teaching, the results of obeying and disobeying, and the authority of his teaching. In other words, what is Jesus' instruction book for life, and why is it important? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7, and read with me Jesus' parable from verses 24 through 29. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus' parable closes out the entire Sermon on the Mount. From Matthew 7, Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. It is his conclusion. And it leaves everyone in verses 24 and 26. Everyone with a massive choice. The choice is plain and simple. Hear and obey or hear and ignore. Hear and obey the teaching of the sermon or hear and ignore. The choice is a colossal one as seen in the opposite and incredible results of each choice. So let's look now at this parable as I explain its, its basic meaning. In verse 24, the phrase, these words of mine, is Jesus' teaching in the sermon from Matthew 5 to 7. And the one who hears and does them, verse 24, is the man or woman who knows and obeys the content of Jesus' teaching. 
Jesus compares the obedient to a wise laborer in the first century who constructed his house on the solid foundation of rock. The foundation is paramount to the overall structure of the house. No solid foundation, no sturdy house, no matter how strong the other building materials are. The house, in verses 24 and 26 here, this is a a person, a person's life. Each and every person chooses what type of foundation they build their lives upon. The foundation of rock is the substance of Jesus' teaching. The wise choose to establish their lives on the substance of Jesus' teaching by knowing it and obeying it. It is the foolish man, verse 26, who only hears but does not obey. Jesus likens this man to a foolish laborer who built his house on the sand, verse 26. Sand, you see, can have the appearance of being solid if it's dried and pressed down. The meaning of sand is any belief, priorities, or practices that run contrary to Jesus' teaching. To build one's house or one's life on the sand is to organize and establish your life around anything but what Jesus has taught. For our original audience, the sand was most likely the religious leader's faulty interpretation of the Bible, believing that external righteousness was enough to earn God's salvation rather than receiving it by faith. Now, verses 25 and 27. 25 and 27 describe the exact same circumstances that the wise and the foolish builder encountered. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew. This describes a torrential mountain storm with strong winds and flooding that test the house. The meaning behind the storm is twofold. One, it's life's trials. The other, it is the ultimate trial, the final judgment. For the Christian, by means of faith in Christ... He or she is now right with God and no longer faces divine judgment to to determine their eternal destiny. The Christian finds shelter from the storm and the flood in Christ. So for the Christian, he or she has in one sense already built their house, their life, on the teaching of Christ by trusting in Him. But as I've already said, This teaching is a parable, and it's relevant for how we conduct ourselves in order to endure trials. So the rains, floods, and beating winds are also life's trials, which God uses to mature a Christian in their faith. As Christians, we face all kinds of trials. Debilitating disease, nagging pain, 
or reoccurring illness, job loss, underemployment, job security, relational strain, betrayal or loss of a loved one, deep disappointment, regret, fear, betrayal, an uncertain future. This list goes on and on. We've experienced these things. What Jesus is promising to us in this parable is not a way to prevent the storm and its flood, but how to endure the storm and its flood. It is the closing warning in his instruction book for life in the kingdom of God. So whether we endure the trial successfully or not depends not on the type or the severity of the trial. For the wise and fool endure the same trial. Our endurance depends on whether we have organized our minds, our hearts, our lives on knowing and heeding Christ's instruction. So what is the content of Jesus' teaching that we are to hear and to do in order to endure? Christ's instruction is in one sense the entire New Testament. But specifically this morning and specifically in our passage, it is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. One theologian has called the Sermon on the Mount Jesus' kingdom ethic. Jesus' kingdom ethic. He goes on to say, we see the core of his ethic summarized in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3 through 11. I'm going to turn to Matthew 5, 3 through 11 and quickly go through this so we get a gist of the content of Jesus' ethic. You can listen or you can turn to Matthew 5, 3 through 11. Beginning in verse 3. The poor in spirit are those who recognize that on their own they are spiritually bankrupt before God. They have no chips to bring to the table. Verse 4, those who mourn, they take an honest look at their personal sin and confess their guilt before God, seeking His cleansing and His forgiveness. Verse 5, the meek. These are those who entrust all the details of their lives in the hand of God rather than attempt to barrel their way forward, making a name for themselves. Those who hunger and thirst, verse 6, hunger and thirst for righteousness, they recognize God alone is the source of the upright character that we crave. And they know that it's a gift from Him through a relationship by trusting in Christ. The merciful... Verse 7, are those who having received God's loving kindness, treat others with mercy and likewise receive in kind. Verse 8, the pure in heart, these are those whom God made new in planting in them a heart with his upright desires that propel one's pursuit for purity forward. Verse 9, the peacemakers, these are God's children now at peace with Him and likewise seeking peace with others. Verse 10, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake 
are God's faithful children choosing to supremely value their relationship with him even in the midst of opposition. And finally, verse 11, those persecuted on account of Jesus are Christians living out their faith in a world of sin and unbelief that opposes Christ and his message of grace and faith. So what's the gist of the Beatitudes? What's the the gist of the content of Jesus' teaching that we are to hear and obey in order to endure trials? In a word, Christ-likeness. It is the natural outworking of the Holy Spirit indwelling those in a right relationship with God based on faith in Christ. The basis is a right relationship with God and the outworking is Christ-like character. The mindset of that Christian is one of genuine humility, childlike trust and dependence on God. It is gentleness toward others and peace with others. It is a heart overflowing with goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. It is elaborate patience and enduring hope. The ethic that we are to apply in order to endure life's trials is rooted in our relationship with our Heavenly Father and is an outworking of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. It is God's gift of Spirit-enabled Christ-likeness. How opposite, how opposite an approach is this from the world's ways. The world fears these sudden trials and disasters, and we sense this fear in ourselves. It might bring personal ruin or financial disaster. So, what do we do? We build hedges around ourselves to protect us. We purchase insurance plans, we diversify our investments, we practice healthy dieting and exercise routines. We try to guard ourselves from uncontrollable elements by staying informed and aware around the clock. And we position ourselves to remain relevant in society by keeping up with fashion trends, pop culture, and politics. Now hear me, these are not bad things. And in fact, there is wisdom in each of them. But Jesus' kingdom ethic, his instruction book for enduring life's trials, the storms and the floods, does not focus on building hedges around ourselves. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The ethic we are to know and do that is foundational to our lives is giving ourselves over to God. It's trusting Him with the unknown and the uncontrollable so that His will might be done in our lives. It is wise to occasionally ask ourselves, to which beat are we marching? What playbook are we following? There is only one that leads to endurance. At this point, I want to make another clarification. 
I am not describing some form form of victorious Christian living that teaches faithful Christians will not be overwhelmed or deeply scarred by severe trials, nor am I saying all you need to do is love Jesus and everything will be okay. Some of you have experienced loss and grief that goes beyond words. The Christian in those circumstances might become very angry at God. They might doubt God's goodness or sovereignty. And they might go through a season of intense spiritual dryness. Also, they might need professional help with medication. They might need to take a pause button, push a pause button on life from the many responsibilities. All these things are normal, being a broken person in a broken world. In the midst of all this, though, it is the wise rather than the fool who will understand that at their core, their very basis is none other than Christ and their relationship with God. Turn back with me to Matthew 7 as we look more closely at the fool. It is the fool who persistently refuses to apply the teaching of Jesus to his or her life. The foundation of the foolish man is not rock and therefore will not withstand the storm and the flood. In verse 27, we read, It fell and great was the fall of it. It fell and great was the fall of it. Listen to one commentator's critique on the scene of the foolish man. The man described is one who hears Jesus and perhaps enjoys the process, but who does not put into practice what he has heard. That man is foolish. He is a stupid person who acts in a stupid way. This is seen in that he builds on sand. Hard blow coupled with the action of rain and rivers was too much for the house with the poor foundation. That house fell. It would not be too much to say collapsed. With a great crash, the expression points to complete ruin. Close quote. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, then this great fall extends beyond the trials of life to eternal judgment. In the immediate context of this passage, in verses 21 and 23, so just above, in the immediate context, Jesus warns that whoever rejects God's offer of salvation by way of faith in him will not enter God's kingdom. In verse 23, He calls these people workers of lawlessness. Jesus even establishes himself as God's judge on the last day in verse 23 by saying, depart from me. Clearly, Jesus understands himself as possessing and teaching with divine authority. The authority of Jesus is further elaborated in verses 28 and 29. They're at the end of our parable. In verse 29, we see the phrase, teaching as one who had authority. This is explained by the fact that he equated obedience to his word, 
verses 24 through 27, obedience to his word, he equates that with the will of God in verse 21. In verse 21, Jesus explained that only those who do the will of his Father in heaven are admitted into the kingdom of heaven. And then in our parable, verses 24 through 27, Jesus emphatically states that only the one who hears these words of mine and does them will withstand the flood, which includes divine judgment. My point is, if you reject Jesus' most foundational, authoritative teaching, that he is the one sent by God to bear our sins through his death on the cross, then you will not withstand the storm or the flood of God's coming judgment upon your sinful soul. For you, the question is, how do I escape the final judgment? You are to turn to God, admitting you are guilty before him, and you are to put your trust in Christ's death on your behalf as the way for you to be forgiven and to be made right with God, beginning now and lasting for all eternity. What about Christians? Are Christians exempt from Jesus' warning of a great collapse if we fail to hear and do his words? We are and we aren't. I want to reemphasize that all true believers in Christ have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, and we've received Christ's righteousness as a gift by faith in him. We will not face God's judgment for heaven or hell. With that said, though, Jesus' warning is for Christians in that we might be exempt from eternal judgment, but we are not exempt from trials or foolishness. Self-determined independence, dependence, self-determined independence, Dependence on the mind-numbing effects of alcohol or drugs, euphoric shopping sprees, extravagant getaways, and all the other forms of escapism, personal and career advancement, or simply making more and more money. These are a few examples in prior of priorities and practices comprising the sandy foundation that Christians might build their lives upon, hoping to endure the trials. When the storm materializes and the winds begin beating on your house and the flood waters rise, these types of foundational priorities and practices will not support your life and will not enable you to endure the flood. Your life will come crashing down and great will be the fall of it. So how do we as Christians apply the Lord's teaching to our lives? How do we follow Jesus' authoritative teaching in order to endure life's trials? Rest and rely upon God. Rest and rely upon God. Jesus puts it plainly. We are to hear and to do his words, as we learn the content of his teaching is centered on our relationship with the Father and it's the Spirit's outworking. 
Rest and rely upon God. He is near you. He is in you. He is with you. He is working in and through you. His hand is upon all of your circumstances. Rest and rely upon Him. This is not a passive rest. This is an active rest. It's an ordered reliance, not a disordered one. It's a faithful and obedient child looking to a loving and kind mother or father kind of rest and reliance. We rest and rely upon God by looking to our heavenly Father, His resources, His power to meet our needs, trusting in His goodness and wisdom to prevail through trials, even when we don't understand, even when we don't like them. And we honor Him with our faithful obedience. So when the trial comes, our lives are already properly founded on the rock through this rest and reliance upon him. Let me close with this. It is challenging to rest and rely upon God. We are often too busy, too proud, too lazy, too fearful to rest and rely on him. And I'm speaking to myself as well. It is far easier to organize my life according to my way to achieve my goals. Not only is it easier, but it is also far more common, even encouraged in our culture. In 2019, NPR recorded a year-long series called American Anthem on songs that rouse, unite, celebrate, and call to action. According to the series, Frank Sinatra's My Way is considered to be America's anthem of self-determination. According to the article, My Way represents the quintessential American outlook that nothing in life matters more than doing things on your own terms. Jason King, professor at NYU's Institute of Recorded Music, was interviewed for this article, and he says, quote, Essentially, the song was not written for Francis Albert Sinatra, the man, but Frank Sinatra, the character, who could stand as a kind of cultural figurehead, saying, look, I did it the way I wanted to do it, and I did it right. Looking back at all this history, I'm okay with it. Listen as I read to you the lyrics of My Way. And now the end is near, and so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I am certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway. And more, much more, I did it. I did it my way. Regrets, I had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each chartered course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much, much more, I did it, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall and did it my way. 
For what is man? What has he got if not himself? That he has not to say the things that he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show I took all the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. On what foundation are we building our lives? Is it a my way kind of foundation that foolishly believes we are strong enough to face it all, to stand tall, to take all the blows? Ironically, the weak character in Sinatra's song is someone who kneels, someone who kneels. Ironically, according to Jesus, this person who kneels before God is actually the wise man. The one who kneels before God is building his or her life on the foundation of the rock by resting and relying upon God. Just as this song demonstrates in our hearts and in this world, the foundation of the rock actually appears to be sand. And the foundation of sand appears to be rock. But when the storm comes, when the flood comes, the true character, the true substance of that foundation is revealed. The substance of the foundation of the rock is excellent. It is excellent. Let us arrange our lives, order our hearts and minds on doing the words of Jesus by resting and relying upon God. Let us pray. Father, we praise you that you have given us your instruction that we, we know who you are and we know what it is that you desire of us, not simply to, to please you, but what is good for us as your creatures and for those who've trusted in your son as your children. I do pray that if there is anyone who has not trusted in your son that you would convict them of this truth that they would put their faith in him for the forgiveness of sins and Lord as your children we do pray for your help we trust that you are at work in us and we ask that you would teach us how to rest and rely upon you that we might be people who build our lives upon the rock we pray all this in Jesus name Amen.